With issues like healthcare rights and election integrity on the line this November, there's reason to be concerned about the future of the U.S. The good news, you can help. With no more than six hours a week, you can volunteer with Tech for Campaigns and use your design skills to help swing district Democrats win local elections. State and local races often come down to only a few hundred votes. Having a strong digital presence and reaching new voters through digital ads and email campaigns can be what makes the difference. Democracy needs you. Volunteer at techforcampaigns.org forward slash volunteer. Hi, Sidewars. Sarah here. Confession time. I'm lazy with my money. That's why I love using the Acorns app. Acorn lets you automate your savings so you don't have to think about it again. Sign up for their Roundup feature and invest your extra change with every purchase. That $5 you spend on lattes, you can invest it weekly for an added boost to your investments. The best part is Acorns has an ESG portfolio, which is made up of companies that are highly rated on environmental and social issues. They even offer Bitcoin EFTs now, if that's what you're into. Sign up today using the link in our show notes to kickstart your savings with an extra $5. Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible. From the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of The Side Woo. This is co-host Sarah and I'm super duper excited um, to have today's guest on. I met her back in October of last year and immediately was like, I have to have her on our podcast, but it took me um, probably about, I don't know how many months that's been, but six months to build up the courage to ask her. And Finally, it's happening. To introduce her, her name is Amy Major, and she is a reverend, medium, and spirit rescue specialist. I met her in one of her energy work classes, and I will go into more detail on that in a following episode. But among her many accomplishments and how I found her, actually, was that she has written two books on mediumship and rescue mediumship and is working on her third right now. Her first book, Towards the Light, which was about rescuing spirits, trapped souls, and earthbound entities, aka ghosts, gained popularity and eventually led her to working with CBS Studios to develop a series based on the book. We are very lucky to have her on. She's very busy and in high demand as there are not currently a lot of people with her skill set. So I really hope you enjoy our conversation and you know, keep an open mind. There's a lot of information that's coming in that I know when I first heard her talking about it was uncomfortable and, you know, you kind of need to sit with it. But if you have comments, questions, critiques, feel free to send them to thesidewoo at gmail.com and we'd be happy to you know, include that or you can always send us a voicemail and or a audio message and I'm happy to include that on our upcoming podcast. So anyway, with that, I will leave you to the episode. So let's get kicking. We're just going to jump right in. The first journey that you went on spiritually, it sounds like, was rescue mediumship. Was that kind of your first intro into the the woo-woo world? Yes, definitely. As soon as I started my mediumship development, I learned right away that I was attracting different types of spirits. And I didn't know exactly what was going on until I started doing some research and found out there was actually a form of mediumship called rescue mediumship that I started training in. My guide started teaching me and it's a very different form of mediumship than most people would consider mediumship. And now I train it around the world. And so how does that different than the more standard mediumship? Well, a lot of people, when they think of mediumship, they think we're connecting to the spirit world, the other side or heaven and relay messages to people here in the physical world. So they're what I call message mediums. They're here to be designated mediators between the higher plane spiritual realm and the third dimension. But rescue mediums actually specialize in communicating with spirits that haven't got into the light yet. They're called earthbound spirits, what people would know as ghosts 
So we actually have a different vibratory frequency that connect in with these earthbound spirits. And our main initiative isn't to align messages. People here in the physical plane, we're actually here to give help and assistance to spirits that are still looking to finalize their transition. So we come in and serve to communicate with them, counsel them through their issues, and then we guide them to the other side. So it's really all about the help and healing of spirits in the spirit world. Yeah. I mean, there's so many questions I have. What are some of the things that kind of threw you off your course as you realized that you had this journey to go on? Well, I think it all started back in 2001 when I started sitting in development circles through the spiritualist churches in the United States. And they would run these development circles where we would sit in the dark and connect to those in the spirit world. They didn't really train us on how to adjust our frequency to a higher plane to receive messages from the other side. Mm. So I just opened myself up, which <laughs> probably was the worst thing to do. I'm like, okay, spirit, whoever's around me, I didn't know how to set that intention. I and I became swarmed with all of these needy, wounded souls that sure. were all around me and demanding my attention. So I'm like, this doesn't feel like happy, kind, loving spirits in heaven. This feels more uh, intense. This feels like they want something from me rather than they want to give me messages. I knew right away something was different. I've heard you talk about this group a little bit. The other members in the group didn't really know what was going on either. So they were like, you're calling in demons. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. (laughs) I had so many looks over it in my direction because everyone could feel the heavy, intense energy Mm -hmm. circulating around me. And they're like, Amy, why are you calling in the bad spirits? And I'm like, I didn't even know there was anything such as bad spirits, you know, or any demons or anything out there. I was really just trying to figure myself out what my gifts were. So I was actually asked by several development groups not to come back because they were afraid of what I was bringing in. And I was confused at that time. So I didn't know where to turn to. How do you not internalize that? Because even meditating and getting kind of these really benign visions when you're first starting on working on that kind of thing is so wild and you don't even know what to believe. You don't know who to trust. And so to have people tell you, get out of our wholesome spiritual group. That'd be really crushing. It it was. And I think one of the hardest things was their, their motto was like energy attracts like energy. Mm. So they were implying that my energy was negative. And that's why I was attracting the negative spirits. And so I kept looking inward to find out what's wrong with me. Why am Mm -hmm. I bringing all these wounded souls to me? And it really made me feel very wounded myself and very insecure but of course my spirit guides on the other side kept reassuring me nope there's nothing wrong with you you're a wonderful soul you're here to help heal healers attract the wounded don't listen to the church It, it took a while the church is now very open to the work i do the church that i go to and i'm a member of they're very open about rescue mediumship but it took 20 years to get here. I mean, I think it's a theme of a lot of healing modalities of the kind of toxic positivity where you're not allowed to go deeper into the things that are harder. I know people sometimes feel like if you get a cancer diagnosis, Mm. well, you obviously were holding on to too much negative energy. And Mm. there is a sense of like, if you could just be a more positive person, then these things would not have happened to you. So being blamed for the scary and challenging things that happen in life does not feel good when it's very out of your control. Exactly. Plus, I think it's something that they can analyze that way. We have to have some type of understanding as Mm -hmm. of why things happen the way they do. And, And that's why it's so important for me to educate the general public about how we attract spirits and that it doesn't really have anything to do with us as a soul or our personality or what we're doing in our personal lives. It really has to do with a a frequency that we're emitting out of our auric field. It's it's a contract. It's a mission that we have. And those who come in to be healers, 
we attract wounded people. So those of us who are healing mediums, we're attracting wounded souls. So it's, it's nothing to do with us, but it took me a good 10 years to figure that out. Yeah. So it was, it was really hard. You try to do everything you can to clear your energy, you know, go through a journey work, you know, have clearing done on yourself, go through mm-hmm. meditations, try to have people put protection energy around you. And then you realize nothing's working. And, you know, when you go to your guides and they kind of roll their eyes saying, we told you there's nothing <laughs> wrong with you. <laughs> I love how sassy your guides are. (laughs) Oh my gosh. They so are. They come through like, you know, this already stop asking questions. I think that's actually how I found you just because I had gone for to a bunch of different energy workers. And, and at some point I just thought the energy work that I'm supposed to get into isn't about getting rid of bad stuff. And it's more about transmuting or working with what I'm being given. If you're dealing with a bunch of shit in your life, and you're doing all the things you can to fix it, maybe you're supposed to have that in your life in order to learn something. Sometimes like crap is there just so you can learn how to work with it. And well, that's exactly what we come here for. Yeah, You know, people are so busy running from their problems and running from the dark, you know, and I tell people over and over again, we are beings of light. We can't learn some of these really deep lessons until we come here and go through some of these dark, Uh, circumstances that makes us feel like, oh my gosh, we're so wounded, but we're we're not really wounded. We're going through a temporary darkness in order for us to be able to see a different perspective of ourselves. Doesn't mean that we're any less than being in the light, just means that we're now able to see things differently. But stop running from the wounds you brought in with you. Stop running from things that make you feel uncomfortable. These are lessons. These are triggers to remind you you're still holding on to pain. So if you keep running from it, how are you ever going to ascend, to grow, to evolve into becoming a better, wiser soul? Mediumship and spirit rescue is definitely not part of the cultural mainstream, even though it's used as entertainment in the mainstream. Mm. One thing I think about is that There must be so many more spirits than there are people walking on the earth because everybody who is not alive currently is dead and including animals and um, all, all things with a living spirit. My question is, why is it so shrouded in mystery to access that world? It's like when organic foods first came on the scene and they're part of like a little side cult or they're right. electric cars. And then it's now subculture. You, know, you go to 7-Eleven and you pick up organic um, kombucha. How would it look if, if this was just part of your regular every day-to-day life? And then yeah. if, it, if it exists, why is it so in a corner? Why can't it be more part of how we function when we get up and then we're like, oh, there's a spirit over there. Why does it feel so in the corner and rarefied? And that's a really great question. And and the answer really comes down to uh, familiarity and comfort level of collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. There are many different levels of a collective consciousness that the human condition actually gets into cycles and rhythms and they get a familiar Uh, comforting feeling from. So in the general masses, if everybody accepts one particular thing, then the collective consciousness will accept it. But if only a small amount of people accept something and the, the mass collective consciousness is still trying to figure it out, most people will not adjust to it or believe it. It won't seem normal. So we have to be able to merge this form of spirituality into the collective consciousness and make it something more familiar and comfortable, more uh, grounded, easily acceptable understanding that the collective consciousness, the mass population on the planet can understand. Until then, it will always be paranormal. I feel like there are a couple self-helpy mainstream books that hint at the idea that we're going to get to a place where we're all just completely comfortable with the spirit world, like existing the way a table exists. But yeah, I'm curious if you have a sense of what it would take to just get everyone on board with 
rescue mediumship and thinking of ghosts as people and not entertainment, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, even I catch myself, like there's this one song where they're like, you're a ghost, da, 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 da. Just thinking Mm -hmm. about like ghosts and popular culture and then being like, oh wait, no, they're people. I can't just make them a cartoony bad guy. I think what the general public needs to to have is proof. And Mm. usually they go to proof through scientific discovery. If the scientific discovery comes down to says our consciousness um, moves out of the physical state and into a higher state of consciousness that moves around the third dimension, influencing people here in a physical world. And if they have proof of that, it has, again, it has to grow to the collective consciousness. It has to grow so that the more and more people that believe in it, but they have to have some type of physical proof that can be grounded and analyzed in the third dimensional viewpoint in order for them to accept it more. Mm. You can't just have a medium that says, oh, I see this, I believe this and come through with proof and validation. People are still going to reject it because it doesn't fit the familiar vibe of believing in what they see, believing in what they experience. If it isn't something they could touch, feel, or experience, they're going to have a hard time believing it regardless of what you say. A little bit to Liz's point too, is the idea that mediumship and any kind of spiritual work in that more mystical realm feels a little clannish. We had someone on who was talking about going through this mystic training program and She said that there's this barrier to entry in order to be part of this community. And I, I understand to a certain extent why, because you don't want people coming in and ruining the vibe of your, you know, spiritually minded group. But I don't know. I was actually surprised how open your classes were. What's your thought around inclusivity? My belief, which is very different than a lot of other intuitives out there is, and my guides are a hundred percent on board with what I believe in because they're the ones pushing it, obviously. And I believe everybody has an intuition. I believe everybody's a medium. It's soul connection to soul connection. And intuition is a natural born gift. It's a sixth sense that everybody has. I understand the old mystic groups that closed off saying we can't share our secrets. I'm completely against that. I'm more mainstream. I believe in having the general public understand their gifts, realize this isn't something that is unobtainable to realize, even though some of us are born more sensitive, it doesn't mean anyone's against it or not able to obtain that. This is something universal. And our souls and our consciousness are emerging and ascending into more psychic ability. So the more we make it mainstream, the more we make it acceptable in the regular public and and move it out of the darkness, move it out of that store in a corner in the dark and getting the tarot card reading. This is something that really needs to evolve out of that, where you walk into an office and it's just like going to a doctor, but you're seeing an intuitive that can actually read energy. I kind of picture like, you know how you, there um, are apps where it's like time to stretch or like get get off the screen. You know, you could have one that'd be like time to check in with your spirit guide ask it a question, you know, you've right. been, been in your head for too long, just kind of trademark the side woo. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I have so many thoughts going on in my head. Okay. Rewind. Refocus. You got this. You got this. Thank you. <laughs> horror movies. So I am obsessive about horror movies. It, it's basically like how I relax. I've always had an interest in the occult and always had an interest in what happens after you die. How come the visual... And I know you don't make movies. You're in a reality. You're not in a constructed reality of film. But it does seem like humans have this very particular way of representing the connection to the spirit world. And it's often very scary and Mm -hmm. plays on people's fears. Like if, if a snake popped out at you or a huge spider, it's almost like that type of moment where you see something that you think might kill you and you don't know how to protect yourself in that moment. But why are the visuals in movies and pop culture and books so consistent across genre? 
they are really basing everything off of a stereotype of one type of ghost. And they do exist. We do have very scary, dark spirits in the spirit world, but that's a very small percentage of what is actually out there. And this started thousands of years ago and our DNA has developed over time primal instincts. These primal instincts have now developed a fear towards paranormal things that are unexplained, things that may seem scary, but just like um, spiders or screams or dark alleyways or things that make you feel very uneasy. And it isn't the fact that a ghost is scary. It's the fact that we don't understand what this eerie feeling is. We don't understand that we're picking up on the heavy emotions from these ghosts. And I think until we get more shows or movies out there to explain the truth behind spiritual energy, people are going to go back on those primal stereotypes that, that ghosts are scary. And it's fun to be scared sometimes. The haunted houses around Halloween time wouldn't be so popular if people weren't fans of being scared. And it's not being scared, it's the thrill. People get addicted to the high of the thrill. It's like a catharsis of all your pent up daily anxieties and you get to go scream it out in a haunted house. <laughs> exactly, except I walk through them now, yawn. I'm like, oh my God, this is boring. But I think, you know, for the average person, if you want to get rid of the ghosts and start putting like ghouls and, and demons and monsters and things, which are completely made up, these are tales that we brought down from generation to generation. There's been ghost stories handed down generation to generation. They have movies made depicting ghosts being evil. So of course, how can the human consciousness evolve out of this until they start developing a different mindset? Mm. Quite often, a lot of people don't want to. What is out there and like, what are real risks? If someone's in their kitchen and all the doors are slamming and they're like, oh my God, I've got a terrible mean ghost. Is that something to actually even be afraid of? Or is that? No, because what they're showing you is the worst that it can get. They really show you all of that psychokinetic energy, and it takes a lot of them, a lot of energy to be able to do that. My teacher used to always tell me they fluff their feathers right in the very beginning to scare you to ward off your intention of trying to get rid of them. So they try to scare you to imply that they have more power over you, which is completely false. And what they're showing in the very beginning is usually as bad as it gets. After a while, they'll fizzle out. They'll get exhausted from their efforts. If you stand your ground and don't show any fear, it's the fear that feeds the energy that makes everything worse. It's your own interpretation. It's your perception of the experience that can make it a lot worse. 80% of the time, most hauntings, non-threatening whatsoever. They're just spirits that are wandering through They may feel a little anxious. They're trying to get your attention because somehow they feel you're going to have the ability to help them find their way to the other side. Most people have no clue that they have this gift and therefore get bombarded by spirits around them like I did. And they get afraid. And then they think, oh my gosh, a spirit's attacking me. A demon's attacking me. What do I do? So it's just, it's a vicious cycle we get ourselves in. But for the most part, no. Spirits aren't going to harm you. So what is the other side? Yeah. What's the other side? The whole analogy of crossing over. When I first started learning, I was thinking, where's the line? Where do we cross? The analogy is very general. And, and, And I love the fact that they use it. But my guides always referred it to as a transitionary period through various levels and frequencies and changes of perception and reality. But that's hard to explain to the general public, which is why we use the analogy of crossing over. It's going from a physical consciousness, a physical body, emerging into a higher consciousness. So you are pure energy. You're holding on to your thoughts, your emotions, your memories, your personality, and you start going through portals. It's called um, the portal of light. That's that bright light that everybody talks about. You have the choice. You don't have to go through the light. You should go through the light. But a lot of people walk away from it because they're not ready to die. 
but those who do walk through the light, it is a doorway. That's when it can transform and become anything that that person needs to perceive to create a level of comfort, calm, and understanding of their transition process. It could be a field, it could be flowers, it could be the ocean, it could be their home they grew up in. It could be anything that they need where they can speak with their guides, have a family reunion, be able to go through a mini life review. There are many things that the spirit can embrace at that time. And that's usually the first level that they move into on the other side. Once they get more accustomed to that energy and they realize, okay, I've moved back into a higher consciousness. I'm now ready to heal. That's where they go through a cleansing process. It usually looks like waves of color of light, like a river of color. And they go through these waves of healing to be able to eliminate wounds, the emotional baggage, anything they're holding on to that the soul is ready to let go of. This is the emerging back into who they were before they lived this life. They can go and see more friends. They can start traveling. They can come back to the third dimension to be able to see people. From there, they go up another level. All of this is higher states of consciousness. And then they start getting more involved in their soul groups, their their soul teams, their guides. They can sometimes take jobs, responsibilities, go to school. So there's many different things that you can do on the other side. What about if you didn't have a consciousness, you know, if like you're, you're born with out of consciousness for whatever physiological reason, I don't mean not an essence, not a humanity, but I mean, literally you're speaking of brain dead. Yeah. I mean that, I feel like brain dead is, it sounds almost like an insult, I'm, but I mean, not, not, that, not that you meant it as an insult, but no, no, no. Like, you know, the, when you watch somebody in real mental decline at the end of their life, or, you know, people who are born without the cognition of who they are. I mean, a lot of the other side seems predicated on being able to think. It's more than thinking. It is so much more than thinking. And you're, and you're imagining this with the human brain we're speaking more of the soul consciousness, which is the everlasting knowing of the soul essence. So even if the person is in the dark, in a vegetable state, they're not able to even um, think at that time, when the soul emerges out of this darkness and they move into the light, they take back on their soul essence. They don't need to remember their life as much, rather they're greeted right away by their soul team and their soul guides, and then they're reacclimated to the spirit world. The soul essence is the identity of the soul beyond space, time, matter, beyond all the incarnations that the person's gone through. That will emerge, that will come out and be remembered when they go through the light. So don't think of it as something that we're thinking because when you're in the spirit world, Everything you feel can project that around you. Everything that you perceive or believe will project that around you. There isn't that, there's thinking, but it's so much more than thinking. It's a state of existence that is perceived through thought, sound, feeling, you know, everything you can possibly imagine on such a deeper level. And it isn't something that it's very easy for us to understand down here because we're so separated by physical dimension. It's very hard for us to feel that we become one with everything. We merge with everything. So it's, it's, you feel deeper, you see deeper, you know deeper because there is no separation. So you don't have to worry about somebody emerging out of their body when they're not able to think. It's a completely unique experience for everyone everyone's going to have a different experience. So I can't say what they are going to experience, but I will know that what they do experience is remembering on a level that's so hard for us to understand down here. But think of it as waking up from a long dream and going home. And just everything feels familiar. I think a lot of us are scared of dying. You know, I'm scared of dying. I think about it 
not all the time, but I definitely am aware of mortality as I age. And I think about how hard it's going to be on my son when I die. And hopefully God willing, like I die first. That is something that's made death seem more like I want to die first. So I'm like, okay, it's natural that I would die, but you know, it's something we're really scared of. Like, are you scared of dying? Does it change your relationship to actually transitioning to not being alive in the way you are now? Not at all. Just to start from the beginning, when I was a very young child, I had a conversation with my father who's Jewish and he doesn't believe in the afterlife. He had a conversation and told me that when we die, I don't know how this conversation came about, but I remember it very clearly. And I started asking him questions about death and heaven because at a very young age, I was having um, conversations with my spirit guides. And so I asked him, I said, you know, where are you going when you die? He's like, we become dust. There is no existence after you die. Everything is dark. And I just remember bawling my eyes out. I was devastated. I was not just devastated. I was frightened so deeply. And, but more than that, I was so confused because I said, how can all of this existence be for nothing? We come here, we live, we die. That's it. That doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make logical sense. Why would we spend all this time down here in the third dimension to learn all these things just to die, no longer exist? And what happens to the soul? I knew my soul had a consciousness beyond this, this lifetime. I had several past life dreams when I was a kid, mm. reoccurring dreams over and over again. I felt the energy of spirits around me. So it was very hard for me to understand that concept, but I didn't have proof. I didn't have anything to say, yep, we do exist after death. So instead of just accepting this fear, I was out to eliminate the fear. I'm going to face my fear. And I started doing all sorts of research. I started going to church. That's where I found mediumship, trying to connect, trying to meditate, connect to the spirit world. I needed proof that life did exist from the other side. So I always tell people, if you're afraid of death, why are you holding on to this fear? Why aren't you doing more research? Why aren't you reaching out to the spirit world, asking them to show you proof? Because they can. They don't want you to hold this fear. They don't want you to be afraid. Because if you're afraid to die, then you're afraid to live. Yeah. They want you to live your life to the fullest. Don't be afraid to ask them for proof and they'll show it to you the way they feel is best. Don't anticipate what they're going to show you. Just be open to their messages. And then the rest comes down to trust. You have to trust what they're showing you. You have to have a belief beyond your fear and understanding that you have thousands upon thousands of mediums bringing through this validation of life after death. There comes a point when you're just going to have to trust it. Right. Well, if we just turned to dust afterwards, there would be no ghosts at all. And so why would there be ghost stories? You know, I feel like the people who say that still enjoy a good ghost story and believe that potentially ghosts could like knock your cabinet around a little bit or, you know, turn your lights on. Ghost stories started out as monster stories. Mm, Okay. And so a lot of people think ghosts are just a made up entity. People created to scare. And there's, there's some mediums out there that don't even believe in ghosts. They believe that when a, when a person dies, they go straight into the light. There is no free will in the death process. Mm. So I've had some argument (laughs) with some other mediums explaining why wouldn't we have free will? Isn't this all a choice? Isn't life a choice? It isn't our physical body's death. It's our soul's transition death that I'm talking of. Everything's a choice. And in this free will, we have to make these decisions. Sometimes these decisions aren't in our best interest. They're, they're based on fear. But a lot of people still have a hard time believing in ghosts, no matter how much proof they have. And that's fine. Because I'm not here to prove anything to anyone that's not ready to believe. 
I'm here to explain on a deeper level for those who want to understand more. You don't want to try to force somebody into believing something because right. it, it doesn't impact them as much. You know, they won't feel it as much. It'll be forced. And we don't want to do that. You cannot force things even when they seem so obvious to you that they are the right decision, aka vaccines. Um, you can't just actually force people to do it, even if you fundamentally are like, this is real and this is the way it is. When it comes to what is right for that individual, as long as it's not affecting or hurting anybody else, then there isn't any reason why we can't accept their truth and what they feel is right for them. Because we have our truth and we try to educate those around us. But when they start resisting, then we just realize they're not ready for this. And that's okay. Everybody has a place and a time where it makes sense. Not to switch gears, but thinking about the idea of judgment as it exists on the earthly plane, having worked with spirits, I'm sure you've met ones that have done really bad things on earth and I guess it's a two-parter question. The first would be, how does that bad, quote-unquote, behavior sit with the spirit in the afterlife or having crossed over as well as the universe that exists outside of our life on earth? What is the role of good and bad? And then I'm kind of blanking on the second one, so we'll come back to that. Like, how does it feel when you know you're in a position of assisting I'm trying to be nice, but you basically, you, you're trying to rescue like a murderer Mm -hmm. that, you know, did terrible things. How does that sit on the other side when they cross over? And then how do you manage that on a personal level to feel like compassionate enough that you want to help them at all? I absolutely want to help them a hundred percent. I have no judgment whatsoever. And my guides took me through various stages of understanding. And in the very beginning, of course, I had that judgment against somebody that would harm someone, especially a child. They started showing me life cycles. They started showing me contracts. They started showing me that a soul comes to this planet to experience several different uh, circumstances that teaches them a deeper understanding of a lesson. And within that lesson, we have to have teachers. So if a soul says, I'm in the light and I'm feeling all this love, but I don't understand what fear feels like. And and God looks down and says, go down to the planet and you will be in circumstances and situations that will put you in a tremendous amount of fear. And the soul says, yes, yes, yes. But God says, but it will be hard and it will be challenging. And you're going to be afraid because fear penetrates so deeply into you. And the soul says, but I so want to learn. I want to know what fear feels like. And then God says, I'm going to bring teachers. I'm going to bring people into your life that are going to hurt you in a way that creates this fear. And when a rescue medium connects to that soul, we don't look at them as far as what they've done, who they've been in that life. We look at them as a soul in one experience, going through one lesson out of millions that they've gone through. And we're here to remind them of their light. We're here to remind them that they're part of a higher consciousness. And they need to emerge out of this pain that they've put themselves in. They need to forgive what they've done because it was all part of the plan. And this happens time again and again and again. And when I tap into a soul that's earthbound, I can see their karma. I could see their contracts. I could find out every reason why they did what they did. But the most important part is I see the essence inside them that is the light of God beyond this time. And all I want to do is help them. I mean, I hear it and it it is controversial because it sounds like there's an inevitability to the evil and abusive things that people do. And maybe where it, it sounds like it's saying that's okay, that people act that way because it's part of a larger picture that we don't all 
get to understand that it pushes me outside of the narrative that we're in right now around the soul's journey and transition to the other side. It's very, very hard to metabolize because it seems like there can be no evolution towards a a kinder, gentler way of being on earth if the contracts dictate there's going to be a certain amount of hardship and abuse because of a directed type of learning that has to happen. But that's how we evolve. We evolve. How do we build compassion without going through pain? How do we build empathy? How do we find honor without challenge? We are evolving as souls. And a lot of younger souls still need to go through these lessons to build these attributes that are connected to their higher consciousness, to have that deeper understanding. As souls evolve, there's less and less need of trauma and pain and fear. They already understand it. It's already the foundation of the building blocks of their compassion and their love and a deeper love than they've ever had without having to go through those challenging situations. And I think it's the deeper love that the soul is trying to obtain. And when I've talked to the other side, they, they move me into a higher consciousness to be able to see outside the pain and say, look what it's doing for you, not to you. Because all we can see is the pain. We can't see beyond the pain. We can't see thousands of lives into the future of how the soul evolved over time. The strongest people that are here on the planet have gone through some type of challenge or hardship. They would not have been able to gain the strength and wisdom inside of them if everything in their life was easy. They wouldn't have been able to be there. It doesn't say abuse is right because it isn't right. But how does the soul understand that it's not right? if they don't understand it at all. I'm curious how much intervention as a caring person in the world we should attempt if everyone's learning a life lesson, like how much should you try and help the people that you see struggling? And if there are ways to learn lessons and one's the hard way and one's the easy way, do you find that there are different paths? Like, you know, I feel like there's a lot of ways to learn a lesson and maybe it depends on where a soul is at. Is it always necessary to have that violence or have these? No, really not traumatic- at all. No, not at all. I mean, we can learn these lessons in various forms. It's it's really whatever the souls decide to build as a contract. And I have to say, quite often, the contracts that we build on the other side aren't nearly as vicious and mean and cruel as they become here on the planet because we get so engrossed in the fear the anger these primal lower consciousness emotions overtake us and we forget the contract we just become pure anger and hate and rage and this controls our actions I've had many souls come through to me and saying, I was supposed to be the abuser, but I took it way too far and I wasn't supposed to. And this took us out of our contract. And I feel so much remorse from this. So we sometimes get lost in the experience. Do they all need to be as hard as this? Absolutely not. It all depends on what that soul's trying to learn. There may be a million people on the planet right now that are trying to understand fear. But then there's a million people on the planet that's trying to understand unconditional love or trying to understand compassion, trying to understand generosity. So we're going to be put in situations that are going to teach us these lessons. Just because hardships exist doesn't mean every soul needs to go through them, especially if you're an older soul. But I have to say, the older the soul, the harder the lesson. It's kind of like going up through the grades. You get easy lessons in the very beginning, hard lessons in the end before you graduate. It all comes back to a place of, I'm not going to allow this fear to influence me. I'm not going to allow my emotions to get the best of me. And I'm going to be in a place of love no matter what happens to me. And that is what the soul is trying to get to. I think um, what is challenging 
or what is inspiring is, I mean, I'll start with inspiring first, is that there is a sense of development towards something and the consciousness of this over time if you do work, if you put in work and if you um, allow yourself to be guided. And then what's challenging is the way the pain manifests so unequally across groups. You know, something like slavery is that the contract that entire swaths of people entered into. Yes, absolutely. We will look back in history and see some of the horrific things that humanity has done. And then a, a group of souls will build a contract together, say, I'm going to become part of this. So humanity learns a lesson. So humanity can learn through the evolution. We wouldn't be where we are today if we had not had some of the things happen in our past to teach us these lessons. They have to think humanity is still in the fourth grade. We have a long way to go. Oh, wow. So it may seem like we're doing really horrible things, but I've seen consciousness thousands of years ago. And everything that everyone thinks is a demon is just a very old consciousness that we finally evolved out of. We were much darker than we are now. And so why? Because of the third dimensional denseness, it completely changes your frequency. And when you move into a lower state of frequency, the reality within that frequency is dark and heavy and scary, and you become part of it. And then everything that you do feeds into it, making it grow even more. But when the souls start coming back to the planet of higher frequencies, they omit light. That's what they call light workers. They are now changing the vibratory frequency of the existence and reality that they're in. So they're not affected by this darkness anymore. Not everybody in society has gotten to this level yet, but there's a huge shift happening right now where more and more people are awakening to this light, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of faith. I was curious what role like the ego plays and how would you having access to the spirit world describe the energies that make up the ego? I feel like it's talked about as this mental state and then now more like an emotional state. But now I wonder if it's partly the influence of ghosts. <laughs> if you're thinking of bad ego, there's, there's good ego and then there's bad ego. Sure. What ego really is, is an understanding of self. That's really all it is. So if you hold on to wounds, your understanding is self-protection. So your ego is going to move into a place of preservation, overextending itself to amplify who they are, the negative ego is going to come out because there's a wound that's triggering the ego. If somebody's not wounded, the ego becomes more of this is who I am in the world, such as I'm going to be a generous person and help people who are homeless or feed the poor or be able to build a multi-million dollar business and, and help humanity. That ego is now a good ego because mm. it's now projecting its traits, its personality, its existence to the world. So I think people are misunderstanding the word ego to mm. begin with. Ego is nothing but who you are and how you're projecting yourself to the world. It's hard because so many people don't even see that they're holding a negative ego. If you're responding to a situation in a defensive way, that's negative ego, such as I'm better than you. Or look at me, everybody, I'm so popular. Or I'm going to be the best in my class and everybody else is going to fail. It may seem you're being egotistical. It may seem like they're full of themselves. But what they're really doing is overcompensating of a wound that they're holding of, you know, not feeling well about themselves, not feeling capable, not thinking that they are actually um, able to do this. It all comes from a wound. It all gets triggered. It's all a place of defensiveness to protect yourself. So mm. don't look at it how it's projected. Look at why it's projected. Mm. Okay. 
I have a little bit of a gear switch question. I was just in Sedona and had this amazing time there and came back feeling very cleared through like a lot of the gook that makes me feel stuck in my life was removed. But there was this one psychic guided experience I had where this drug was pushed and not forced, but just suggested as something Mm -hmm. that would aid. And I actually chose not to do it, but I'm curious sort of what your thoughts are on people using drugs to have an instant access to the spirit world. Again, it goes into not judging anybody for what they feel is right. I can tell you it's not needed to connect to the spirit world, but a lot of people feel they're not capable without using a tool to make it a little bit easier. And I said, whatever gets them there so that they feel like they have a connection to something higher than themselves and they feel connected to a love, let them experiment with what they want to do. We are so quick to judge because it's not right for us, but we have to remember they're not us. They're going through their own life, their own challenges, their own unique experience. So we have to honor the choices that they make for themselves. Now, if some of these choices we know will harm them in some way, then we feel obligated to speak up and say, I really feel like this is going to harm you. I think you should look at other options. But if it's not going to harm them, then there's no harm in having someone experiment to feel like they need to use it as a tool. And people use tools all the time. People use tarot cards and and they use crystals and oracle cards and pendulums. We're not judging any of those people because that's an easier access to gain information. Just because the tool is something that's not accepted by most of people or humanity or community, I mean, it's wrong. Do you think it's a tool or do you think it's just a simulacrum, but it sounds like if it gives you the experience and that is the experience, it can't be that it's just an artificial simulacrum facilitated by the drugs. Um, Exactly. I've never used them, but I have heard from a lot of people who have, and they've purged a lot of their wounds. They've been able to connect to their guides better than they ever have before. And I've talked to my guides and like, look, they're just doing it a different way. Just because you never experienced it doesn't mean it's wrong. And I'm like, I give them accolades for being able to be brave enough to try something new. Should they go to that all the time? Probably not, because what they're doing is they're missing out on the strength that they have within themselves, the capability that they have within themselves to do this very easily on their own. But they lack that understanding about themselves. So instead of judging, we need to try to help them get there without the use of these stimulants that they're using. And that's where development circles and training comes in. I'm curious, you mentioned that idea of using these tools. Do you have recommendations around when they should be deployed? I mean, I think they're fun, definitely. Oh, they're a lot of fun. The way that I was trained by my guides was Learn how to do everything within yourself. Understand the true nature of who you are, the skills you hold, the strength your soul has, how capable you are, how to remember who you are as a soul, as an intuitive, as a natural ability. Gain everything first within yourself without using any tools so you know you're capable. And then go to the tools to help amplify what you already do. Use it as a validation for fun, but not as a necessity. We have a couple like rapid fire questions, but maybe before we get into that, is there anything that you're working on now? Anything you'd like to talk about? I I am working on a YouTube series called Spirit Rescues. We're going around doing house clearings, crossing spirits over. That's going to be on YouTube shortly. I am also starting to do videos on YouTube where I'm going to start doing mini classes, just training on one small thing. A lot of people can't afford classes. So I'm just going to start training, taking one topic and doing some YouTube videos to help people up. And then I'm also writing my third book, 
release to light, which is also about energy clearing work, attachment removal, as well as working on certification courses that I'm doing online. So I, I have a full, <laughs> full um, schedule full ahead of me. So I being able to get my head above water and breathe every now and then would be nice. And, and doing these podcasts are really a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. It gives me away from the intense work that I'm doing and, and all the things I do behind the scenes. Cool. Well, um, so I don't know, Liz, do you have anything else before we go into some of these questions? No, I feel like we've really covered a lot of topics that are both um, it's informative and also challenging. So no, Sarah, Popcorn. Okay. Popcorn. Cool. Well, so true or false or yes or no are good. You can answer quickly, but also I love some of your anecdotes if you'd like to include. The first is twin flames. Are they real? No. <laughs> Sorry. <Better> expand. <laughs> twin flames is something that's been created 20 years ago by the metaphysical community as an extension of the soul group or the soul mate analogy. You do not have one soul that you have a twin to. You have billions of souls that you're connected to, not just one. We build connections and contracts with souls, but do not feel that you are not whole. Do not feel that you are not complete without this other soul. Not true at all. You are everything you need to be and more without any other soul connected to you. Is the earth speeding up on its axis? Yes, it is. And I actually just had a reading with someone today that started talking about the pull shifting and the axis and, and the frequency changes into the fifth dimension. So the answer is absolutely yes. Oh, wow. And why should we be knowing about that? What are some of the side effects of that? Well, you're going to start noticing that you don't have enough time in the day as much as you used to 20, 30 years ago. Check. Running out of time. You're going to notice that things seem much faster. And you're going to have conversations where everyone's talking a little bit faster. Information is going to come faster to you. It's just going to seem like you're on fast forward. And it's so true because as we move into a higher vibratory frequency, it does move faster. Do you think the exponential rise of the tech industry is influenced by the speeding up on the axis? I think it can be. But then we're also receiving a lot of alien technology through downloads of consciousness to be able to speed up humanity's evolution as well. Interesting. I feel like that's a whole other podcast. I, I just think that, you know, they're trying to shift and change our future. Because mm. in the future, humanity has merged with technology, harming the human condition. I was told a long time ago through my guides and just through my own intuition that all these grays, all these aliens that people are seeing are really us from the future coming back to heal their past. And even if that means that they don't exist anymore, they don't care because what they want to do is create a new future, Mm. a different path, a different reality future. And that's what they're trying to do. And so we accept some extraterrestrial technology but then remember, we're also having interference of ETs that are not for our highest and best. So it's always trust your gut whenever you're receiving something. Got it. Do we have spirits, either guides or ghosts, watching us and following our thoughts and actions at all times? No, 100% of the time. No, they are exhausted. They don't have enough. Oh, so <laughs> Even sad. though time doesn't exist on the other side, they have too many things they have to do. But remember, beyond space, time, matter, they're constantly connected to us. So we have an energy cord connected to them. Whenever something arises, it pulls on that energy cord, alerting to them they need to come down and connect to us. But we're not being, we're not being followed all the time. We're not being watched all the time. And, and quite often, I have a lot of students come to me saying, it's so quiet. I don't feel like anybody's watching me. I feel so alone right now. And I say, well, your guys are taking a step back and they're waiting to see what you're going to do based off of what you've learned up to this point. And the students have a very hard time with that because they're so used to having their guides with them all the time. So no, guides aren't going to be with you all the time. Sometimes you have to be tested for what you already know. Interesting. 
I'm going to sit on that one for a while. Okay. One more question. Should you push your energy? If you're releasing any negative energy, should you push it into the earth? Oh gosh. I'm so glad you asked me that question because I'm, you know, all the time uh, when I'm teaching my classes, I go back into my, my history and my experience of getting an elemental attachment. I was being trained years and years and years ago from other metaphysical practitioners. And they used to tell me to push all my dense, heavy energy into the earth and have it transmuted by the earth. And so I used to do that over and over again. Then I started getting into training myself. Next thing I know, I have this attachment and I think it's a demon. I don't know what this is. It starts attacking me. It goes right from my throat chakra. It starts squeezing my, my neck. It starts crawling throughout my body, crawling Oof. across my face. And it feels so evil. I try to clear myself for weeks. I couldn't do it. Finally, I give up. I go to my teacher. She couldn't clear it either. She said, I think this is an elemental. And I'm like, why would an elemental be attacking me? She's like, well, did you go to your guides? Did you talk to them? I'm not talking to this thing. This thing's attacking me. So I finally had to break down, forget about my pride and talk to it. And over time, it finally said, we had to get your attention so you knew we don't want your energetic baggage or trash pushed down into the earth. Humans have been damaging this planet and the auric field of the earth for generations. And now you're going to train people to do this? They said, we demand that you do not do this again and that you do not train people. We can't handle your energy anymore we're wounded and we're trying to heal. Once I was able to understand and listen to their message, they finally released and they just let go. It took three months for me to get oh. rid of them. I have one last question. Let's say somebody's listening to this podcast and they get super inspired, but they don't want to take a class or don't want to reach out to an expert. And they just go straight for like, turn off the lights, light a candle and get a Ouija board. Is that okay? Can people just like give it a shot? Or you just talked about half the teenage population right there. Yeah. Uh, people are going to do it whether you tell them to or not. It's, it's experimentation. It's curiosity of the human soul. Should they? Absolutely not. And I shouldn't have when I was a kid either. What you need to do is set intention. You're, they're going to do it, but it's kind of like telling kids not to go out and have sex. You know, they're going to do it. So you might as well give them protection. The same thing with the spirit world, protect them at all costs, knowing you can't stop them from doing it. Did they? Absolutely not. But I say, instead of lighting a candle and going to a Ouija board, light a candle and try to sit in meditation, go up, not out. Try to visualize yourself in a beautiful scene in the spirit world, go to a sacred space, go to the ocean, go to a field, sit under a tree, whatever feels the calmest and most serene to you. And start inviting your guides in, start inviting your family in from the spirit world. There are so many things that you could be doing to connect the spirit world that doesn't evolve the Ouija board. It is a tool, but it is a tool of a lower frequency that will never open up a door other than the one you don't want to open. I've been singing the the dangers of Ouija boards for like three or four episodes. So I'm really glad you said that. <laughs> yes, you have. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. They don't need them to communicate with spirit. They only do it because they feel they have no other choice. Or they're not capable of doing it. And, and I think that's one of the biggest messages I think the other side wanted everyone to know, because I've been saying it over and over again. Everyone is capable. Everyone is able to connect to the other side. All you need to do is open your heart, set the intention, call in your guides, and just wait. Just listen and don't have any expectation. Do it over again, over and over and over until you start to feel a change. Because even though Ouija boards are easier, you get that instant gratification. It isn't the energy you want to connect to. Your guides are the energy you want to connect to. And those guides are where you'll find your answers, not the Ouija board. That is helpful. And I do think like sex is a really good analogy for it, you know, especially 
the fallacy that people won't have sex as a teenager. And, you know, if they're in a loving relationship, maybe they should, and maybe it can be fantastic. And you just need to be shown how to do it in a loving way. Exactly. Give them the tools they need to do best protect themselves and have the expectations they're looking for. Spiritual condom. Okay. Yeah. Go. That did not come from me. No, it did oh not come from me. Trademark side woo. <laughs> cool. Well, honestly, one of my last questions was can anyone be a medium? So absolutely, yes. You know, I asked my guides a while ago. I was having conversations with other mediums and a lot of mediums will say you have to be born a medium and so I went to my guides I said so is that really true am I born a medium and then my guide said you are a medium everyone is a medium Mm. and you were born a medium is one soul connecting to another soul how can we not all be mediums I love that I I think that goes back to the idea that the spirit world is this exclusive place that you have to work to find access to. So I, I really love that. Nope. Oh, and in the future, I think most of the population will be mediums. Amazing. Well, wonderful. thank you so much, Amy. This was really wonderful. Thank you so much. What an amazing conversation. It's fun. It's always fun. I never know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> and I know it's always going to go in a strange place, which is wonderful. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side viewing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.